0: Well, we're going to go ahead and continue on in the series that we're doing right now of who we are as a church. So we've already started this, uh, 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 this, this series. So what was it? Three, three weeks ago, we did, we are a people who are saved by grace. And then two weeks ago, we learned that uh, here at Living Hope Family Church, we are a people who worship. Last Saturday, Sunday, we learned that we are a people who pray. And today, I want to talk about that we are a people who love and honor one another. As we're going through this series, the idea is, is, is who we are as a church, what we believe, what is our culture here at Living Hope Family Church, and, and our goal, particularly in this case, and I pray that if it's your first time here, that you felt loved and honored when you came in, that you felt welcomed, but not just when new people come in, when we come together as, as a group, as a family, we should continue to love and honor one another, because the truth is we are a family. And like any family, we're going to have fights. We're going to butt heads. We're going to be upset. We're going to tick each other off. The person that can make me maddest out of anybody in my entire life is my sister. She can just, but I love her. And no matter how mad she makes me, that's not going to change. And I'll continue to be there for her and her for me. It doesn't matter how mad we make each other. But we're a family. And the same is true here at Living Whole Family Church. And even when we butt heads and we get angry with one another, we need to do it in such a way that we're still loving and honoring one another. And the reality is, is how to behave in the body of Christ is important to God. It's one of the things that is spoken about most in the New Testament is how we treat one another. And when you see stuff over and over again in the Bible, how many know that that's pretty important to God? When he, he wants to make sure that you get it. He's like, I know I told you before, but I, just in case you didn't get it the first time, let me tell you again. And he talks about how we're to treat each other in the body of Christ, how we're supposed to treat. To behave towards one another. And the problem is, is we tend to forget how to act with people that we're close to. And you'll see this all the time in families. And the problem is, is sometimes we treat family members in ways that we would never ever treat somebody else. And the closer we get to somebody, usually the worse that we're willing to treat them. And I think personally, I think that what it has to do with is we realize that that they love us unconditionally. So we're a little more free because we know that even if we act stupid, they're going to love us anyway. But I would challenge you to to step out of that and and really treat everybody as if you just met them. Instead of letting that, because we tend to get that way. And then the other thing that we do is we tend to hold ourselves or hold other people to a higher standard when they're Christians. Actually, we even hold people to a higher standard than we hold ourselves. Man, you guys missed an awesome time to say amen. That, that was good preaching right there. We, we, hold ourse- we hold other people to a higher standard than we hold ourselves. We actually, we judge other people by their worst times, but we judge ourselves by our best. Do You ever notice that? When really we should be judging everybody by their best. And really even more so, and we'll talk about it more, I'm, I'm getting all kinds ahead of myself, but we need to, to, to really see people as Jesus Christ. And if we see them as who they are on the inside, it would change everything if we really recognize who they are. But the problem is, particularly for for Christians, it's been said that we're the only army that shoots our wounded. Instead of encouraging people and lifting them back up and trying to help them get back on their feet and be strong in the Lord once again, we just immediately kick them out. And we've been talking about, you know, before this, we've been going to the book of 1 Corinthians. And that's one of the things that Paul does in that instance, is he, he finally has to kick somebody out and say, you have to go away. But it's, it's not because they made a mistake. It's because they were intentionally and, and, and willingly living in sin and, and they were given opportunities but never repented. The problem is, is we don't even give people an opportunity to repent. They mess up and they're gone. Instead of encouraging them and helping to restore them, amen? But I want you to know that how we interact with one another in the body of Christ is going to determine our effectiveness in this world. Because if we are just like cats and dogs at each other's throats and we're always shooting our wounded and we're always being awful to one another and who's going to want to be a part of this? They're going to look in there and like, "Why do I want to be a part of that? I get treated better on the outside." So how we treat one another actually impacts how effective we are at ministering to others, amen? So let's go ahead and get started. In Matthew ten forty through 41, it says, Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, and the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward the first thing that we need to understand that when we are interacting with one another is how we receive people is extremely important. Actually, how how you view people, it, it, it actually directly impacts what you will receive from them. If you have no respect for somebody, if you, if you think that they're not worth anything, if you think that they're, they're, they don't have any intelligence or they don't have any knowledge or any of that stuff, then you'll never be able to receive anything from them. Even if God is trying to speak through them to you, you'll never receive it if you don't receive them for who they are. Here's a, a silly example to kind of demonstrate my point. So we just recently had some issues with my air conditioning at the house. We end up spending like a thousand bucks trying to get things fixed. But we, every, every, uh, every uh, twice a year, we have somebody come out and take a look at our, our air conditioning system to make sure everything's, everything's good. We have a contract. And when they come out, the guy comes in, and I expect an AC repairman, right? Could you imagine if I'm like, man, my AC is acting up? I really have an issue. I think I'll call the locksmith. And if I called somebody for who he was and I I tried to receive the locksmith as something that he wasn't, how many know it's not going to work out for me? The locksmith is probably not going to be able to fix the house. Or when I I do need the locks fixed, if I receive somebody else. So my point is is if we receive somebody as as what they're not, it impacts their ability to work on us. So if I receive a locksmith to work on the air conditioning, I'm not going to get anything out of that. But if the air conditioning guy shows up, right, I've called the air conditioning guy, he shows up, and he's here to fix the air conditioning, I'm like, wait a minute, you're not an air conditioning person, I think you're a plumber. How many of you know if I don't receive him in as the air conditioning guy, the air conditioning's not going to get fixed? How we receive people, how we let them into our life impacts how they can work inside of our lives. And if we, if we regard each other with disdain, we'll never allow somebody to encourage us. If we're always angry at one another, if we forget that we're a family and we still love one another, when somebody comes up to encourage us and we begin to go, what are you doing trying to encourage me? I know what you did last weekend. I mean, what, who do you think you are to talk to me? We can miss what God has for us because we're receiving them not as who they are. The scripture says that if you... that if you receive a prophet because he was a prophet, you'll receive a prophet's reward. But if you receive a righteous person because he is a righteous person, you'll receive a righteous person's reward. How many know that if you receive a prophet as a righteous person, you're going to miss out on the prophet's reward. You're only going to get the righteous person's reward. I used to think that I was clever when I was growing up. Um, We went to a church. My best friend, was the his dad was the pastor. I was, in, I was in grade school and high school, so it was when I still knew everything, so I was pretty smart, and uh, I'm going to this church, and, and, and the guy's the pastor, and, and we just called him Brent. I never called him pastor, and I thought it was because, oh, he's, he's no better than me. You know, he's, he may be the pastor, but he's no better than me, which is true on one hand. I'm no better than anybody here, but God has put me here for a purpose. So anyway, he's he's he, He's my pastor. Or he was supposed to be, but I never called him pastor. And how many know that I limited his ability to impact my life because I refused to see him as pastor. Instead, I I only saw him as my equal. God had placed him in my life to shepherd me, to help me grow, to help me become the man that I am today. And fortunately, some of it got through because he's part of the reason I am here today. But had I... I I wish that I would have just received him as a pastor the whole time. What more could he be imparted into me? How much more could I have grown underneath him? That's why when you're going to this church, even how you view me makes a difference. You see, some people have trouble regarding me as pastor because I might be younger than them. You know, and how can somebody that's younger than me be my pastor? And the scripture, actually, the same thing happened to Timothy, right? Paul told Timothy, don't let them uh, uh, think less of you for your youth. And what I thought was funny was that he didn't say, tell them not to think less of you for your youth. He said, you don't let them. But the reality is, and, and, and as we're coming here, if you receive me as pastor, I'm going to have a much greater impact in your life than if you don't. And that's why, you know, when, when people are, are, are out and about, you know, when people call me pastor, I'm glad to hear it. Not because I think, I think oh, wow, they, they respect me for who I am. You know, I, I don't get all puffed up about it but because I know that they can finally receive from me what God has put me here to do. Because the truth is, even if nobody in this room ever called me pastor, it doesn't, it's not going to make me not a pastor. I'm a pastor because that's what God called me to do, amen? Just because I call the AC man a plumber is not going to make him not an AC man. He's, a, he's an AC man. Just what I call him doesn't make a difference, but it will impact what I receive from him. And the same thing is it will impact what you receive from me. And the same with everyone in this room. If we, review each, if we regard each other as less than we are, then we'll never receive what God wants to work through that person in our life. Amen? Amen. First Thessalonians five twelve through 15 says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, and see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seeks to do good to one another and to everyone. Do you know that we're supposed to honor one another as co laborers? That means that we work together. And our goal, our vision here at Living Hope Family Church is we want to reach this city for Jesus. We want to tell them about him. Our, our goal is to reach out into this community and evangelize the lost, right? And then when they come in, we want to get them to come in, and then we want to train them, and we want to equip them, and then we want to send them out to do the same thing, to plant churches, to reach the city, the, the area that they're in. But that is our goal. That is our vision, and we're co laborers together to do that. We work with one another to do that. The pastor can't do it by himself. The, the leaders on the, in the church can't do it by themselves. It takes all of us. And we co labor together. And then he, Paul says to, to respect those who labor among you. This isn't just a good idea, this is a command. We're to respect one another. And then he says, as we labor among them, to esteem them very highly in love. We're supposed to esteem one another very highly in love, we need to appreciate one another and not just get along and not just uh, uh, come together and, and, and kind of just tolerate one another we 're not here to tolerate we 're here to love one another to esteem one another even if we're we 're not the best at everything we want to, to to just be thankful for the people that are along beside of us, and everything we do for one another should be out of love love should spur us forward. Love should cause us to want to, to help one another, to lift one another up, to encourage one another, because the people that we love, we're willing to do anything for. And that should translate into the body of Christ. Amen? And then he goes on to say that, that uh, about admonishment here as well. He says, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, esteem them very highly. And then he goes down here, so we urge you, brothers, admonish the idol. Nobody wants to hear about that. Admonish the idol. Some of you guys, I'd be, I'd be calling you like, hey, can you come help out and do this? I'm encourage you guys to not be idle. You're like, why does he keep calling me? Tell him to leave me alone. Listen, you know, this is too much. But the truth is, is we're called to admonish one another to not be idle, to work in the kingdom of God. He says, admonish the idol, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. That's also why I'm patient with you. Even when I'm like, hey, can you come in and help? And you're like, I can't. I can't do it right now. Okay. And then I ask you again. And then I ask you again, because I'm going to be patient with you, because I know God's doing a work in your heart. But, but we have, we're co-laborers here. We're on a mission church. We're not just here to fill a seat on Sunday morning. I know they're nice and they're, they're cushy, but that's not what we're here for. We're here to reach the city, amen, to grow together, to do it together. And then it says admonish, the, admonish one another. To be clear, though, you do need to have a relationship with somebody to admonish somebody. To be able to speak into someone's life, they have to give you permission to speak in their life, or you're just going to be banging your head against the wall. That's kind of that, that receiving somebody is who they are. If they don't receive you, then you're not going to have any impact on their life and you're just going to cause tension. So when we're talking about this, to, to, when I say to admonish the idol, this is what the scripture says, but you need to be very careful about it as well. We're not here to beat each other over the head with a Bible. We're here to encourage one another, to lift each other up, to to lovingly and gently encourage one another to work in the kingdom of heaven to make an impact. But we're not here to, to talk down about people, make people feel guilty, make people feel horrible. That's why he says, yeah, it's, Admonish the idol. But then he says, but be patient with them as
1: well. Amen?
0: Colossians 3, 18-21 says, wives submit to oh, you. We're getting to this one, right? All the moms in here, all the wives in here just like, oh, he's talking about this. We're talking about relationships today, right? So this is important. And we don't get to pick and choose the parts of the Bible that we want to listen to. We need to make sure that we're reading all of it. But he says in Colossians 3, 18-21, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen, children. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they be discouraged. You know, not only should we show honor and respect to the, to the church, but also in our families, we need to honor and respect one another. And the first thing he says is that wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now, wives hear this and they're like, oh, this is outdated. Or they think, oh, this isn't fair. Or this isn't, but the problem is, is because in this society, we've messed up the meaning of the word submit. Submit does not mean to be in subjection. It does not mean that a that a, a husband is able to lord things over his wife. It does not make the husband her boss, and it does not make the husband her father. But what it does mean is that they work together. But the truth is is that, and this whole submitting thing, you know, wives of women want to get upset about. It. They don't think it's fair. The whole r- purpose of this this. Uh, 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 hierarchy, if you will, is because God is a God of order. If you've ever worked in a place where too many people are in charge, nothing ever gets done. That's where the expression too many cooks in the kitchen, kitchen comes from. The real, the, men aren't better than women. That's not what God is trying to say. It's just the order of things. So that way that we can walk in an orderly manner. And, wives are, and the, the, then it goes on to say that husbands, you're to love your wives. Another passage says love your wives as Christ loved the church. Well, how did Christ love the church? He died for it. He died for his bride. Husbands, are you willing to die for your bride? And then we have wives that will say, no, I'll, I'll submit to my husband when he loves me. And then we have husbands who say, I'll love my, I'll love my wife when she submits to me. The problem is, is what you do is not reliant on what the other person does. You're both wrong if that's the attitude you take. As it does to you, you follow what you're supposed to do. And you'll see that a husband who is wise will listen to his wife. They'll make decisions together. And wives really, you know, you you almost have it better in some ways. Because while the husbands are like, oh yeah, she's got to listen to me, what they don't recognize is the incredible responsibility that's been placed on their shoulders. They are responsible to lead their families they're responsible to make sure that their wives are taken care of they're responsible and then when they stand before God one day and have to give an account, they were responsible to teach their kids they were responsible to lead their wives well spiritually amen. They have a responsibility that 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 they're going to have to give an account for, but the truth is is they should love. Their wives, like Christ, loved the church. And that means that they would give up anything. You know what? Christ didn't come to boss us around. Christ didn't come to to make us do things. He came to give everything for us. And husbands, that's what you're charged to do, amen? And the reality is, is if you would be a husband like that, there's not a wife in the world that wouldn't be willing to walk alongside you, amen? And then it says, children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. Children are supposed to honor and respect their parents. And they're supposed to listen to what they, what they say. And the reality is that some stuff doesn't make any sense, especially as a kid. You don't get why they're saying these things, why they're doing these things. And you think that my parents just want to take all my fun and all your parents right now are like, hey, man, why do they think that way? But you forget that you do the same thing with God as well. When he, says, when he says that he wants us to live in purity, he wants us to live in holiness, we're all like, well, God just wants to take our fun. But no, the same reason that we tell our kids not to do dumb stuff because we want to protect them and keep them safe and save them the pain and the trouble that we went through is the same reason God doesn't want us doing things. It's not because he thinks he's going to take away our fun, but it's because he loves us. So kids. Obey your parents because the reality is, is that they want the best for you. And then it says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. As a father, we talked about responsibilities men have as, as husbands and, and as fathers. We're not supposed to, to beat our kids down. If your kids are scared of you, then you have a problem. Amen? Amen. So love and honor your children as well. Respect them as, yes, your goal is to prepare them for life, but you need to do it in a loving, encouraging way, amen? Are you hitting the buttons back there too? Is it just my my thing going on crazy? 1 Corinthians 12, 25-26 says that, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Did you know that in the world there are people that are envious of others that succeed? I said that like nobody knows that, right? We all live in this world. We all know that somebody, you know, somebody at work gets a raise and everybody else is like, I can't believe they're getting a raise. That should have been me. Why did he get that promotion? That should have been me. We're envious of one another. We have this, or when something bad happens to somebody, they have that, well, better him than me attitude. But the reality is, is that particularly in the body of Christ, that we need to understand that that there's no division among us. When one person suffers, we all suffer together. When one member is honored, we all rejoice together. We should rejoice when other people get promoted. We should rejoice when we find out that somebody got pregnant. Well, you know, they, they've been, even if, if you've been t- trying to have a baby with your husband and somebody else gets pregnant, you shouldn't be disparaging because you haven't had yours yet. Instead, rejoice with them. We should, because when one person rejoices, we all rejoice together. And when somebody is hurting, We don't say better you than me. We don't try to push them away. We come alongside them because when one member in the family hurts, we all hurt, amen? Christ set the example with this. It's one of my favorite stories is when Jesus called Lazarus from the tomb, right? We all know the story. And there's that one one verse. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. It says, he wept. And I always find that interesting because This is Jesus we're talking about, right? First we know he stayed a few more days, so nobody was confused. Lazarus was dead. He was in the tomb for a few days. The King James Bible says he stinketh. He was in there for a while. So Jesus waits a few days, and then finally comes down there, and then he's standing in front of the tomb, and he begins to weep. He begins to cry. And I want you to know that Jesus didn't have an epiphany moment. He he wasn't like man, if I would have just got here sooner, God, why did you do this? Why? Wait a minute. I'll raise him from the dead. It didn't happen like that. That was his plan the whole time. Jesus knew what he was doing. That was his plan. So if he knew that he was going to bring Lazarus back, why was he weeping? Why was he crying? But it's because the people around him were hurting. So he hurt. When one member suffers, we all suffer together. Jeremiah Bowser, he's come down here and do a, done a concert with us before, but he was telling me a story once, and it's been so many years ago. I'm probably butchering the story, but we'll get the points right. But he's in he's in Uganda, and they're doing some some missionary work down there, and they're staying in a in the camp that they're staying in. That the the ladies from the village would come, and they would take care of everything. They cleaned, they did the laundry, they took all care of the cooking and all that stuff for the people that are doing missionary work. And one night, they decided that they were going to be just do an extra blessing for these ladies. And they went out, and uh, they received an offering for them, and they gave all these ladies money for helping them out just to say thank you. And he said it was an amazing thing, because when they gave these ladies the money, there was just rejoicing and dancing and singing all throughout the camp because they had been so blessed. They were so thankful. Well, a couple of days later, they found out that one of the ladies that has been regularly helping was missed. She wasn't there that day, so she didn't receive the, the gift that everyone else had. So they, they went ahead and they, they, they found her and they, they gave her the same gift. And he said it was the most amazing thing because as soon as she got the gift, the entire camp went in uproar again. All the ladies were rejoicing with her. They were all, everybody was just as excited for this one person as they were for themselves when they got it. Because when they rejoice, they rejoice together. And that's the attitude that we, we should rejoice together with one another. Amen? Romans 12.15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. We operate as one unit. Amen? And we don't get rid of people. We don't think of people less when they're suffering or when they're, they're having problems. Because a success for one is a success for everybody. A failure for one is a failure for everybody. And when somebody messes up, we don't get rid of them. We don't kick them out. We don't think, oh, they don't deserve to be a part of this. I mean, we are a body. The scripture says that so that there's no division in the body. We are one. Could you imagine if you were like walking in your house in the dark and you stubbed your toe and you're like, this is ridiculous. You just cut your whole foot off. Or could you imagine if you got a hangnail and you're like, man, this hurts so bad. I'm just going to cut my whole hand off. It doesn't make any sense. And the same thing is true in the body. We don't, we, re- we rejoice and suffer together. We don't get rid of the one who's having problems. Amen. Because the truth is, is when we separate ourselves, we actually make ourselves weaker. Everybody is here for a reason. You have a purpose. You have a plan. God put you here to do something. And when we separate ourselves, we actually weaken what God intends to do for us because everybody, we're fitted together like living stones. And when you remove a stone from a brick wall, you know what happens? There's a big giant hole. Amen? Because something's missing. I'm going to try to get moving here. My goal was to go faster today, and it never works. John 15, 12-13 says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that somebody lays down his life for his friends. So he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. This is Jesus speaking. Love one another as I have loved you. That's how we're supposed to care about one another. Even the people that you don't really like, get over it and love them because they're in the body of Christ. Jesus gave his life for them. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. Well, how did Jesus love you? He died for you. And then Jesus goes on to say, greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. We need to love people like that. And we talked about, right, a few weeks ago for Easter, we talked about what real love is. And one of the things I mentioned was how in today's society, we've done messed up the word love too. And instead of understanding love for what it really is, we're say stuff like, I love pizza, or I love the Dodgers, or I love ice cream. And it doesn't mean love, it just means we really, really like something. And we don't understand what love really is. You know, or, I really, really love the Dodgers, except for when they're not winning, and then I love something else. That's what love is like today. It's something that can be passed around. It doesn't mean anything. Well, what Jesus is talking about is that agape type of love. It's that, it's that God love, the self-sacrificing love, the love that gives up anything for somebody else, even at our own expense. That's how we should love one another. John thirteen thirty four <clears throat> through 35 says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. How are people supposed to know that we're his disciples? That we love one another. I mean, when, we should have so much love. Come, I mean, when people walk by us, they'd be like walking by us on the road. And be like I, I think he just got love on me. <laughs> I, I think he, he got, when I walked by him, he got love on me. We, we should have so much love that it should be coming out of our pores for one another. And they should know us. I mean, they should walk by and like, do you feel the love on him? that must be a Christian? You feel the love on him? He should be that that must have been a Christian. That's they should know us by the love we have for one another. When I was in the army, they told us that even when you go off of base, particularly in over in other overseas and other countries, said they'll still know that you're a soldier even if you're not in uniform. Because they, they can tell by the way you walk. They can tell by the, one of the things when you're, when you're taught to walk in the army, when you're, uh, when you're taught to march, you hold your hand a certain way. And, and, and if you don't hold your hand like this when you're marching, you know, you get in trouble because this is the way that everyone marches the same. But well, when you do that every day for months and months on end, that becomes just part of who you are. So you always walk like that. And people know it, that's a soldier because of the way he's walking. That's a soldier because of the way he cuts his hair. They know that you're a soldier even if you're not dressed like one. The same should be true. They should be able to look at us and tell that we're a Christian, even if we're not in church, amen? Even if we don't have our God loves you t-shirt on, even if we don't have our Living Hope Family Church t-shirt on, they should know that you're a Christian. Even if you don't have your Bible out, they should know that you're a Christian, amen? Because of your love, they should see it. Love is the very nature of God. One John four eight says the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Amen. Colossians three twelve through sixteen. Before we get started here, that we need to talk about. I've talked about we should love one another, right? And we should honor and respect one another. But the question is then. If this is why the Bible says that we should do this, why should we do this? Why should we love one another? Why should we honor one another? And in Colossians three twelve through 16, it says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive, and above all these put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. You know, the the first reason that we should love one another is because of who he is, because of who Jesus Christ is. The scripture says that because he forgave, so must also you forgive. We need to look at who Jesus is and recognize his work in our life. And because of who he is, is the way that we should act. Because of who he is, we should love one another. That should be enough for anybody. Because he loves them, I'm going to love them. Because he cares for them, I'm going to care for them. Because he's forgiven them, I'm going to forgive him. Because of who he is, should impact everything that we do
1: because of who he is
0: the next reason that we should love one another oh this is going on let the word of christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to god i forgot to go to the second part you'll forgive me colossians 3 8 through 10 says but now we must put them all away anger wrath malice slander and obscene talk From your mouth, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of his creator. So the first reason that we love one another is because of who he is. The next reason that we should love one another is because of who we are, because of who you are, you should love one another. You see, these things up here anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, lying to one another. That's what the world does. That's how the world thinks. That's how people that haven't received Christ, who are still broken, who are still hurting, that's how they treat one another. Because sin is still active in their life. Because they have no uh, retreat from sin. Because they have not been set free. This is what happens. But the scripture says that we're to put all of that away. The anger, the wrath, the malice, the obscene talk, the slander, lying to one another. Because it says that we have put that off with the old self with his practice, and I've been put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of his creator. That's who we used to be, not loving one another, talking bad about one another, kicking each other when we're down, throwing each other under the bus. Those are the things that we did before we got saved, before we were made brand new. What's Second Corinthians 5, 17? If anything, anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have gone. Behold, new things have come. That's who you were. It's not who you were. You put off the old self and its practices, but now you need to put on the new self. And that new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator, after the image of Jesus Christ, we're being renewed in that. that we talked about because of who he is, but even more so because he's inside of us. That's who we are now. And we are loving, and we are caring, and we want the best for people. And when people come up to us asking for help, we don't go ahead and evaluate their life because Jesus never did that. Jesus was there for who was sick and who was hurting, and he showed them love, and he loved his disciples, and he definitely loved us because he gave his life for us. He gave everything for us. And as a result of that, we need to be treating people the same way and loving them the same way because we are not the same anymore. And we don't need to evaluate people like I said in the beginning of this, right? We evaluate people based on their worst moments, but we evaluate ourselves based on our best. And we just people, we wish people would just see our best stuff and not our worst stuff, but we do the very same thing to other people. It's crazy. It's not the world acts; not how
1: we act. And the next reason that we should love
0: other people is because of who they are. So what? First thing is because who Jesus is. The second thing is because who we are in Jesus. And the next thing is because who they are. Colossians, I'm sorry. 2 Corinthians 5.16, I apologize. From now on, therefore, regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him as this, no longer. We need to evaluate people based on who they are. And it's not based on who they are in their own strength, in their own selves, but instead based on who they are in Christ. When we look at people, we should see Jesus. Paul says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. We don't see them for their deeds. We don't see them for what they've done. Instead, we see them for what Jesus has done inside of them. Amen? You know, it would be much easier to love one another if that's how you saw people. If you saw Jesus, if you saw that they were perfect, if you saw that they were holy, if you saw that they were loved, that they were powerful, that they were strong in Him, if you begin to see those qualities in people, not because of who they are, but because of who they are in Him. The reality is all of these things I've talked about, because of who He is, because of who we are, and because of who they are, is all about Jesus. It's what he's done. It's what he's worked. It's what his power has wrought in our lives. And we don't regard one another based on what they are. Did you know that a person's value has nothing to do with their deeds? It has nothing to do with the things that they've done. Their value is based on what they've been bought for. Their value is based on what somebody purchased them for, what somebody else has considered their value. And we talked about uh, a few weeks ago, we were talking about how houses are valued based on what somebody's willing to pay for. Matter of fact, when your house is assessed, they actually look around and see what other houses have sold for that are similar to yours. And that's what your house is worth. It's what somebody is willing to pay for it. Not too long ago, I used, to be, I used to have a photography studio, I used to do photography, and, and I followed all that stuff and kept up on it regularly, and, and there was some guy recently who sold a photographic print for millions of dollars, the most expensive photographic print anybody ever, anyone's ever sold. Now, you hear about paintings and stuff being sold for millions, but this is a photograph he had just taken it recently some commission thing paid him millions of dollars and i remember reading on the forums people were just up in arms and oh, photographs aren't worth that much how can you say all this stuff you know how can he sell it for this stuff and they were they were talking down about the value of this photograph but the reality is is you know what that photograph is worth what the one guy paid for it which was millions of dollars it was worth that because that's what was paid for it and the same is true for us our value has nothing to do with our deeds our actions what we've done our value has everything to do with what, was, what we were purchased for. The scripture says you were bought for a price. And that price is infinitely valuable. That was the life of Jesus Christ. And that's everyone in this room. If we began to see each other as valuable like that, you'd be amazed at how differently you would treat people. Amen? We need to evaluate people not on their highs, not on their lows, but instead as Jesus Christ in them. Amen? Luke seventeen 3, 4 says, Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive them, him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Do you know we're supposed to forgive one another? See, this is the hard stuff. We are supposed to forgive. Even if somebody does something terrible to you, you know, someone, I mean, if someone takes your seat that you always sit in in the church, you should forgive. It even if it's that bad, they took your seat, you should forgive them. Amen? It doesn't matter what happens, what we do, to one, how we offend one another. We need to forgive one another. Amen? And there's no limit to the amount of times that we should forgive them. Now, first off, to be clear, forgiveness is not the same as forgetting. It doesn't mean that particularly some stuff is particularly heinous, you know, that people have done stuff that is, that is well beyond your typical offense, you know, there's abuse and stuff like that. Now, I believe with all my heart that even if you've been abused physically or in any of those ways, you should forgive them. Forgiveness is for you, it's not for the other person. Forgiveness is for you, it's going to help your heart heal. But it doesn't mean that you have to forget what they did. It doesn't mean that what they did was okay. When you forgive somebody, you're not saying that 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 horrible thing that they did is okay. That's not what it means. Because it probably wasn't okay. And it doesn't mean by forgiving somebody you have to put yourself right back in the same situation. That's not what forgiveness is about either. But forgiveness is about understanding that you've been forgiven for so much and you extend that to someone else for your own healing. And there's no limit to the amount of times that we should forgive one another. He says, if he repents, forgive him. What if he does it again? Well, if he repents, forgive him. What if he does it a third time? If he repents, a fourth time. If he repents, forgive them. We continue to forgive as long as people are asking for it. And the truth is, even if they don't ask for it, you should forgive them as well, because it's for you. Matthew 18, 21 through 22 says, Then Peter came up and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Some scriptures say seven times, seventy times. The, The number here actually, there doesn't really matter. What Jesus is saying is that, yeah, keep on forgiving them. You see, what's happening here is Peter thought he was being a little bit clever. Because the the law said that you have to forgive somebody three times, and after the third time, if you don't forgive if they if they do it again, you don't have to forgive them anymore. So Peter's like, "Oh, I got this figured out. It's not the letter of the law. I'm, I'm gonna be a good, Jesus. Check this out. So if somebody forgives, should I forgive him seven times? I mean, that's four more times than what the law says. So he's ready for an attaboy from Jesus, right? Because he's got figure it figured out. And instead, Jesus goes. I didn't say to you seven times. I said seven times, 70 times. And what he was saying is, you don't stop. You keep forgiving. That was the point Jesus was trying to make. We continue to forgive. And we should also restore one another as well. Galatians 6, 1-2 says, Brother, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burden, and so fulfill the law of Christ. We're called to lift one another up to restore. If we see somebody in sin, we're not supposed to go over there and chew them out and kick them out of the church and not associate with them anymore. What we're supposed to do is go over there and begin to remind them who they are in Christ. Brother, this isn't you. You've been forgiven of this. You've been redeemed from this. You have overcome this. You are victorious. You are more than a conqueror. We encourage one another. We restore them. We lift them up. We don't push them away. One of the other scriptures says that we should speak the truth to one another in love. That's not to be misunderstood either. We're not supposed to tell people how bad they are. That's not telling them the truth in love. Telling them the truth in love would be that, hey, you're better than this. Christ inside of you gives you victory over this. That addiction, it's not yours anymore. That's the old self. Remember, you have a new self. Remember, you are a brand new creation. Remember that you are holy just as he is holy. Remember that you are strong in him. Remember that you're victorious. That's telling us the truth in love. That's lifting somebody up. That's restoring them. And we're called to bear their burdens and help them out of that. Amen? Because we're a family. That's what we do as a family. We help one another. We encourage one another. We lift one another up and we love one another in spite of our, all of our stupidness. Because Lord knows we all have some dumb stuff in our life. We all have issues. We all have problems. And I thank God that Jesus is working inside of every one of us and those problems are becoming less and less and less every day. But the reality is, is that we need to, to look at each other and just see Christ and not see the flaws and encourage one another to be restored out of them. Amen? Then in Matthew five twenty three 23-24, it says, so if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Do you know that having an issue with one of your brothers or sisters can affect you? it can cause problems in your life. It can get in the way of you being able to to interact with the Lord as you should. That stuff can really begin to weigh on your heart and drag you down and cause issues. So if you have a problem with your brother, go and get reconciled. If you screwed up, ask for forgiveness. And right? And, we, and if we're all following the same thing, if we're all learning and growing together, we ask for forgiveness. And then they should forgive us because we've repented, right? And they are all on the same page. But if we have something with our our, our brother, it affects us, not just the other person, it affects us as well. And in this scripture, even more so, it doesn't say, if you have something with your brother, go and take care of it. It says, no, if you know that your brother has something with you, go and take care of it. If you know that somebody is upset at you, if somebody has been offended by you, if somebody has been hurt by you, even if you didn't do it intentionally, even if you think it's ridiculous that they're hurt over that situation, any of those things, the scripture says, leave the altar and go and reconcile with your brother. Make things right. But what if I didn't do anything wrong? It doesn't matter. They feel like you have. Go make it right. And then, you know, you go up to them, and, and, and we like we said earlier, a the, the couple of weeks ago, we was talking about it, we don't want to get into the, to the habit of, I'm sorry if you were offended. That's the worst apology ever. I'm sorry if you were offended by what I did. That's not an apology. What do you mean, if they were offended? They were offended. You can tell. They're upset. <laughs> Say, I'm sorry I offended you. But what if I didn't mean to? Doesn't matter. You did. Say, I'm sorry that I offended you. What if I don't think I offended them? Obviously, you did. Say, sorry, I offended you. Get over yourself. Make yourself right with your brother. It's not that big of a deal. Obviously, you did. The the reality is is that almost always offense is received 95% more than it was ever intended to be given. But make things right. Come together. Show love to one another. Resolve these things. That's what we do as a family. That's what we do as a church who loves one another is we want our relationships to be strong. Amen? 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Paul's talking about being ready for Christ's return. He says, build one another up, encourage one another. As a church, that's what we should be doing. Galatians 6.9-10 says, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. It says, do not grow weary of doing good. Did you know that we wouldn't be told not to grow weary of doing good if it wasn't possible for us to grow weary of doing good? Relationships are hard work. Ask anybody that's been married for a while. Relationships are hard work. That means that we're going to have to work over it. That means that we're going to have to get over our own pride and our own ego and come together and work through our issues. Because the reality is is that we're going to have issues. People in this church are going to piss you off. It's going to happen. I'm probably going to tick you off at some point. Some of you are like, amen to that. It's already happened. Guess what? I still love you, and we can get over it. We We can push through it. Because we're a family. And relationships are hard work, but we need to decide that we're going to work through it, that we're going to see each other as, as Jesus Christ and not as our flaws and our failures. And in 1 Peter 4, 8 through 9, and this is where we're going to end it. It says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Earnestly means for reals. Not on the surface. Not like I'm talking a good game, but actually love one another. He says, since love covers a multitude of sins. This is an interesting verse to me because it took me a while to understand what Peter was trying to say because I was confused. Because elsewhere in the scripture, it says that there's no longer a sacrifice for sins because Jesus took care of it all. It says that he died once and for all for for all of our sins and and they've all been forgiven because of him. And the scripture makes it clear that Jesus' sacrifice took care of sins. Sins are done with, they've been paid for, The, the, the sacrifice has been made. I'm like, well, if that's the case, what the heck does this mean? How can love cover a multitude of sins if sins are already taken care of? And then I begin to realize is that, yes, while we are forgiven of our sins and we're right before God, our sins can still cause issues within the body of Christ. Our sins can still cause us to, bu- you know, when you, when you sin against somebody, whether unintentionally or intentionally, it can cause division. It can cause strife. It can cause problems. That's what he's talking about here. Love each other earnestly because if you earnestly, if you really love one another, you'll be able to push past those things. That love that you have will cover those multitudes of sins that are causing your, your relationships to break down, causing your, 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 your feelings for one another to be, to be tangled up and distraught. The love that you have for one another will cover that. This isn't talking about salvation. This isn't talking about being right before God. This is talking about being right with one another. That love will cover it. Then it says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. That means be welcoming of one another. That means inviting people over to your house to have dinner with them. That means having going out to lunch after church. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Don't be like, man, I gotta take Norma to lunch again. Actually, what you should be doing is like, Norma, take me to lunch. She's a good cook. You should be asking her. Her house should be full every every Sunday after church. Hallelujah. The reality is, is that we've been called to imitate Christ. And we cannot imitate Christ if we don't show love to one another, if we don't honor one another, if we don't respect one another. Look around this room. These are, these are people in your family. These are people that are co-laboring alongside of you in this city. These are people that are your friends. And we should be loving and honoring and respecting one another. Amen?
1: Amen. Let's stand to our feet.